Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother Kevin and I for what is going to be a great, great show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. There are currently eight volumes for sale on Amazon in paperback and ebook format, which I encourage you to buy or else. And there are also six volumes, soon to be seven, available in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. So please support what we're doing here and go out and buy a couple of dozen. <laughs> Kevin, my brother, come on in here. What's going on, Bill? Uh, not too much, Kev. I uh, We keep getting whacked with snowstorms here, back to back to back. Or as John Sterling would say, the Yankees broadcast uh, when they hit two home runs back to back. He says, back to back and belly to belly. <laughs> Which is it, John? Back to back or belly to belly? Make up your mind. <laughs> yeah, I know I'll get no sympathy from you, Bill. But uh, you know it's chilly down here, relatively speaking, for North Carolina, and it's just been raining. It has to be the rainiest thirty days in a row I think we've ever had. I I hadn't checked the record books, but my backyard is a swamp. It's just Jeez, you know. too much rain, too much mud, and just cold and gray. Like you know, you know uh, we have the short winter here, but I am ready for spring. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, Kev. Do you want to share anything about the uh, hike you took? Absolutely not. Don't mention the hike. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say uh, how you avoided the rain in that long walk, man, is uh, – it's a, myster- a mystery. Or well, did it rain on you? I will tell you the secret. I wore a very nice raincoat. Ah. <laughs> and I had rain pants on. Ah, If okay. I would have left a raincoat or a rain pants home, it would have poured. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So because you wore them, it warded off the rain. Oh, no doubt about it, Bill. If I would have left them in the truck or left them at home... It would have poured like anything. So I had on my rain gear. It didn't rain. Now, but, what do you th- what do you think? Can you pop up that uh, drone footage on our website for the folks? Or I might that- be able to put that in the fun stuff section. 
Yeah, yeah, I think the people would get a kick out of it. Yeah. Tell everybody a little bit about what you did. Yeah, so I was down on the southern coast of North Carolina, and um, there's an island there called Bald Head Island. And if you see my picture, of course, I do have a bald head, um, <laughs> but I have no other... Uh, no other <laughs> affiliation with Bald Head Island. And uh, I do spend some time on another island there near Carolina Beach called uh, Pleasure Island, of all names. Sounds like Fantasy Island, but it's not nearly that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my buddies that also uh, has a bit of an affiliation with Pleasure Island told me a couple of months ago, he said, you know, you can walk from Pleasure Island to Bald Head Island. And I was like, what are you talking about? You mean like at low tide you can walk to this island? He's like, no, it's an island in name only. And I was like, what are you kidding me? People pay a fortune to live on that island called Bald Head Island. They have ferry <laughs> service every hour, but you can actually walk there? <laughs> no joke, Bill. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's about a 15-mile walk from... Uh, the beach here, where we were hanging out that day, socially distant, of course, to the ferry terminal on Bald Head Island. So we said, all right, you know, in a couple of weeks, when it's going to be low tide, just so uh, the walking's easier on the firmer sand, let's do it. Let's do this 15-mile hike in the sand. Uh-huh. What the heck? We're crazy. <laughs> and the yeah. day before, we uh, parked uh, his car out on the other side of the ferry terminal off of the island. We left it there, and uh, we started walking early in the morning, about 7 o'clock a.m., so we got to see the sunrise, which was cool. And we trucked all the way along five and a half hours to do the 15 miles in the sand and then uh, took the ferry across. And it, sure enough, there is not even a sign that this was once an island. Okay, so... Uh-huh. Folks out there, if you know Bald Head Island and you know when it was an actual island, I mean, Bill, you can appreciate it living up on Long Island. You know, yep. parts of the barrier island up there on Long Island called Fire Island get washed away. Yep. But you can see signs of the fact that they were washed away. You know, maybe yeah. the, oh, yeah. even I mean, even after they come back or are replaced. Yep, yep. Yeah. But in this case, you're walking straight down the edge of the beach, which you could lay a ruler on the map, and it's an absolute straight edge, and you just keep walking down that straight edge, and all of a sudden, you're on this other island. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so guys, my brother's uh, partner in this hike had one of these cool new drones that can be set on, like, follow-me mode, Kev, am I right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, he launched it while they were walking along the uh, surf. And it's just a, a couple of minutes of some really cool footage as this thing circles them and rises above them and then actually goes off, Kev. It had to get about three or 400 yards away from you at one it point. It was far away at one point. You know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, the programming of these drones. He was super relaxed about the whole thing. And this thing just flew away. It was circling us pretty close. You could see it. And then after a while, you know, and you'll see me in the video if you watch the video, where I'm like, where is this thing? 
you know, and I'm looking around, and finally I see it. Like you said, Bill, a few hundred yards away. Yeah. And um, I'm like, should we worry about this? He's like, nah, I think it's just tracking us from further away. And he said, you know, when you see the video, it'll be super cool because it's doing that. And I'm telling you, I was blown away by the video. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really yeah. is beautiful. And it gives you a feel for the fact that we were on this 15-mile trek because yeah. we are in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, there's nobody around. Yeah, and no, the uh, the drone footage gives you the perfect balance because you have this beautiful water with the waves, uh, the different hues of the beach from wet to dry, and then it comes back up into like a dune area with the grasses and whatnot. It's, re- it's really a one. You know, the only thing that could make that drone footage uh, better would be a little easygoing, beautiful music. While it was flying around, but it, it's, uh, I, I see, I misguessed that. I thought you were going to say like a hairy man looking over the dunes at us. Well, that would have been nice if he jumped. <laughs> if he jumped out of the dunes and forced you guys to go into overdrive with your hands flailing around. No, of course you would stand your ground and fend him off with your fists. <laughs> but <laughs> now it'd be more like the Keystone cops running down the beach to get away from it and the drone chasing. Yeah, because I, I was looking at the video. I'm like, this is one of those classic videos where there might be a creature there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly uh, hear enough about the accounts, Bill, you know. Yeah, yeah. And North Carolina, man, you know, uh, it's, it's a hot spot. But I'll tell you something. Speaking of hot spots. Uh, today I'm going to do something out of Canada. I'm telling you, man, Alberta, Mm. Alberta, Canada. Uh, I'm working on volume nine. Uh, I'm not counting. Okay. I'm not counting at all when I'm doing this. Alberta, Alberta, Alberta. (laughs) And I think, uh, in Les Straub's, uh, Bigfoot series, uh, I think one of the uh, discs was all about Alberta. Oh, really? I know I've seen a couple of his episodes in Alberta. Yeah, so, I mean, there is something, and that's where uh, my other buddy, one of our listeners, uh, a big shout-out to Rick and Rich and uh, so many people I'm talking to, Kev, it's, it's just incredible, but... This is where he was a guide for a moose hunting outfit and uh, had his sighting in a cut up there in the woods of a Sasquatch coming in and out. Super Uh, cool. So Alberta, man, that freaking place is incredible with just wildlife and the hairy man. (laughs) So what do you got today, bro? Cryptids in the news and other oddities. Well, as luck would have it, Bill, we are also going to Canada. You're kidding. Oh, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're we're not going to Alberta, though. We're going to go a little bit west. Okay. To Vancouver Island. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of hot spots. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the Vancouver Islands Wild Men. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you've heard of these guys, right? Yeah, well, this uh, we're talking, uh, uh, this goes way back. Oh, yeah. And probably before then, uh, 
you know, if there was written paper or whatever that we could have records on, yeah. it probably goes back a lot further than wherever you're going today. Well, yes, but we are going back 121 years today. Yeah, yeah that's a long time, man. Yeah. So what do you got? What's hap- what was happening so over there? So I'm going to I'm going to read this article. Okay. That was published not that long ago, but still what, 50 something years ago from the Daily Colonist, which is the newspaper of Victoria, British Columbia, and this article was written on Sunday, January 21st, 1968. Okay. And this this newspaper has been uh, published since 1858. Wow! So 110 prior, 110 years prior to when this article was published. Is it still ongoing? Do we know? I don't know. I didn't check, but yeah, I grabbed I mean, this that, uh, off uh, off of the internet, as they say. Yeah, this is a long run for a paper, boy. I'll yeah, tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a long article, so we can stop along the way and talk about it. But it's a pretty cool and creepy article. Wow. Okay. Let it rip. You ready? I'm ready, (laughs) Freddie. All right. So it goes like this. On Vancouver Island, true Sasquatch stories are rare. But wild men tales pop up with alarming frequency. Although the skeptical often lift their eyebrows, the stories are vivid enough to chill even the most doubting. So, Bill, if we have any doubters out there, you'll have to let me know if uh, I chilled even the most doubting. <laughs> well, I'm certainly not doubting, so I don't. I guess I'm not going to get a chill. Yeah. Well, you might anyway. We'll have to ask people to write in. If you exactly. get a chill, you contact a chill us immediately. And you're a doubter. Some years ago, the late Frank Kelly, who had wandered over most of Vancouver Island as a young timber cruiser, told of a wild man said to be living in a West Coast Indian village soon after 1900. The story was that a Cayuquat Indian woman, having given birth to her child, in the native manner, alone in the bush behind her home, was wrapping the infant in a blanket when she noticed an animal lurking in the tangled brush. Panicking, she dropped the baby and stumbled into the village longhouses to call her husband. The men promptly fanned out over the area, but they found nothing. The animal had gone. And so had the newborn child. Oh, boy. Exactly. With the passing of the years, the woman's grief faded. Then one day, a band of hunters returned to the village with a strange tale, and old memories were sharply revived. The braves had come across a wolf's den, and in the den was a human child. It snapped and snarled at the men, as if it were a young wolf, which it most certainly was not. The wolf boy was captured and caged at a village on Malskop Inlet, 
a lonely narrow arm of the sea sheltered by Cape Cook. If not restrained, the child would most certainly have disappeared again into the rugged country behind the village. Wild men tales were common enough around 1900. Several sightings of a strange, hairy, monkey-like man were reported. Nor was there any halt when the wolf boy was taken to Malkscope Village. So I guess they mean nobody really pushed back on the fact that somebody brought a wolf boy in. Jeez. In December 1904, four Qualicum settlers were hunting along the shores of Horn Lake when they surprised the strange creature which fled into the bush. Although they knew others who had claimed to have caught glimpses of such a being, they had not really believed the tale until the proof was there before their eyes. When they told this story in the Qualicum farm kitchens, it raised quite a furor. Nine years before this, a little boy had wandered away from the settlement and never been found. So yet another story, Bill, of a little boy disappearing. Yeah, what was the time frame between the baby and the little boy? Do we know? Looks like about three years. So it's pretty possibly the same creature. No, no, this is a different one. So this is a little boy disappearing after they had captured the uh, wolf boy baby. No, I'm just saying it, it, it was in the same area, no? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry. I thought you meant the same wolf boy. No, I was thinking maybe the same creature doing the kidnapping. Could be, could be. Oh, wow. When they told this story in the Qualicom farm kitchens, it raised quite a furor. Sorry, I said that already. Nine years before, a little boy had wandered away from the settlement and never been found. Uh Nine years earlier. Perhaps he hadn't died of exposure to wet and cold or drowned in the stream, as they had supposed. Even more likely, they decided, apparently basing their decision on the size of the creature, was that this was a young man who had disappeared on Horn Lake hunting trip 12 years earlier. Wow. Intending to spend a vacation hunting and fishing, he had been put ashore from the city of Nanaimo. Sorry. But he had never been seen again after he waved goodbye to the steamer. The Qualicum men, including the father of the missing child, organized a search party. It was useless, though. They found nothing. In the meantime, Mike King, pioneer, timber cruiser, and prospector, added fuel to the fires. He told of his encounter with the wild man back on the Campbell River. Deserted by Indian packers because they would not hike into what they referred to as monkey man's country. Huh. Yeah. Mike King tramped on until dusk indicated a need to make camp. While searching for a suitable spot, he halted suddenly. Something had moved near a small water hole nearby. Expecting the sound to have been caused by a deer or possibly a cougar, King raised his gun and peered through the bushes. What he saw was impossible, yet he could see it clearly in the lengthening shadows. Well, there you go. There you go. 
It was a monkey-like creature covered with reddish-brown hair. Its long arms were extended over a pile of roots. It was washing and sorting at the water's edge. Before it fled up the hillside, the creature uttered a cry that chilled King. Even for a man as bushwise as he, the sound was unnerving. Anything about the size in there, Kev, or you're reading no, it straight up? nothing about the size, nothing about the size. Okay. Gathering courage, he started after the creature, bending low to examine the uncannily human footprints. Hmm. The wild man was gone, though, and King returned to the waterhole to camp. Sleepless, gun on knees, he sat through the night rising occasionally to add wood to his campfire. Periodically, he heard the strange wild cries of the creature high on the mountainside. Hmm. Pretty creepy, right? Yeah, and another thing that's amazing is uh, here we go again with some type of Sasquatch-type creature uh, down by the water. Yeah, and this guy is a proven outdoorsman. Yeah. You know, and again, it's not, you know, 2020. This is back in the early 1900s. He really Mm -hmm. is an outdoorsman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in May 1905, the Qualicom men organized a second search party. This time they were encouraged by a report that some Indians in canoe off Union Bay mistakenly mistaking the wild man for a bear had shot him. Ooh. Yeah, apparently hit the creature. The creature rose to full height and ran for the bush, abandoning the claims that it had been, the clams that it had been digging. Hmm. Sorry, I'm reading from this old newspaper. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, the startled Indian then realized that what he had fired at was not a bear, but a man, naked except for a heavy growth of hair. Huh. Yeah. Again, the wild man eluded his would-be captors, and searchers abandoned their attempts. Yet the legend lived on to come up many years later. There's the story told over brimming beer glasses of a bearded, hairy figure seen at a Vancouver Island logging camp. Mm. And Bill, that's another one, right around the logging camp. Yeah, Even I today. mean, it's, it's just it's it's never ending. It's like a revolving door. Yeah. They, they're, they're creatures of habit, whether learned from looking at men or instinctively in themselves. They are always around certain areas, the clam digging, yep. the logging camps. It, it, it's just they're there. They, it, it's one after another after another. The same things occur. Yeah, listen to this one. This is pretty creepy. A logger and his wife were seated comfortably in their married quarters home, (laughs) glad to be inside on a night wild with roaring gale and pelting rain. By the way, that sounds like the weather here right now, if you hear the pelting (laughs) rain. (laughs) Drawn irresistibly, the wife glanced up at the small pane glass window. Mm. A face was pressed against the glass. It was not that of anyone she knew, as she knew everyone for miles around the insulated camp. Matted, 
tangled hair covered most of the face, and the clothing seemed to be rumpled, um, a rumpled mess. It had clothing on? I don't know. That's what she says. Okay. Before that stormy night was over, most of the families had seen the wild man. Hmm. Scarcely believing, they discussed the apparition among themselves, but said little elsewhere outside the camp. For who would believe such a tale? Mm -hmm. And then there was the fisherman who huddled all one night on his boat in a wilderness cove on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Outside, the southwest wind had caused him to seek shelter, but it wasn't the storm that bothered him. It was the half-human shrieks from something on the shore where nothing human could possibly be. Mm -hmm. He couldn't forget that another man had disappeared years before in this particular bay. When searchers had gone to investigate his absence, they had found a boat uh, riding securely at anchor, a gun on the latch, but no sign whatsoever of the owner. Wow. Yeah. For months, the villagers were haunted by the wild man. Food left outside vanished, and a strange figure was glimpsed on several occasions. Old Indians sagely recalled the young natives who had overturned their boat one dark night. One body had never been recovered. Either he or his spirit had returned to the village of his birth. The Vancouver Island wild man legend lives on. Wow. Man, that is bizarre. Pretty cool. That's 1968. Yeah. Recalling the tales from like 68 years earlier in 1900. Wow. Now, let's just, I want to kick around one aspect of this for a minute. So the hairy face, matted hair, rumpled clothes. In the lumber camp, yeah. Right, in the lumber camp, looking through this glass on this miserable night. Now, I'm going to throw a couple of things out there. We can talk about it. We'll just see what sticks to the wall. Sure. So there's been numerous accounts. I have, I think, at least two of them in my books of bodies found uh, where clothing had been removed, apparently, and put back on the body in a wrong manner. Mm. Shoes on the wrong feet. Uh, shirts rebuttoned, but in the wrong pattern. Uh, just odd stuff. Now, let me switch horses here, having said that, because I'm setting the stage. In Volume 9, which I'm working on right now, uh, I'll give the people a little heads up. There is an encounter in Canada where a couple hiking was by this creek And they ran across a creature which didn't typically fit the bill for our typical Bigfoot. Uh, They did say, having seen the picture, it reminded them a lot of the photograph from the Dyatlov Pass camera. Whoa. They said it was more or less the size of a tall football player. Uh strong, strapping, uh, 
but you know, by no means, you know, eight hundred pounds and eight feet tall and four foot wide shoulders and legs like tree trunks. Big big mama jaloop, covered in hair, quick reflexes, snapped around, looked at them and then leaped into the woods. Mm. So my thought is this hearing this story and knowing about the clothes taken off and put on wrong uh, this thing wearing some type of clothing, looking through the window. I wonder if there aren't some hairy men, uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, whatever we want to call these things, that are of a more slender slash large human type form. Let's just say... 250, 300, 350 pounds, six, seven feet tall, that could actually get into a human's clothes uh, if they thought they could do so and may take them off them and try them. Sure, why not? I mean, you think of like a, a big flannel shirt, Bill. I mean, I don't know why I'm thinking about that. Yep. I guess it's Vancouver. You know, you tear the arms off the thing and you're not buttoning it up. I mean, pretty much anything could wear it. Like a vest? Yeah. Or if you took a, a big uh, coat from somebody. Yeah. And uh, you just, like, you know, uh, you know, you look at it, you see how it is on the person, you just freaking wiped out. <laughs> and you figure, uh, Hey, you, you could know. make it into a quite fashionable cape, too. Right, yeah, no. He he leaves the five the five C notes in the guy's wallet and takes his crappy coat. <laughs> that's, that's, he fashions it into a cape of sorts. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a Sasquatch ripoff. <laughs> the the money, the currency has no value, uh, but he likes the high heels. He did snatch the beef jerky <laughs> out of the pocket, though. <laughs> I, it's just a bizarre thought I had. Like, you know, what if? Sure. I mean, these things. Obviously, we were just talking about them. Clamming. Oh, yeah. Now, they know how to do certain things. Uh, maybe ripping off a, a, a beehive and getting the honey, uh, you know, creating some type of structure to go in. I mean, look, a bird can make a nice nest, right? So it's not a far shake that a Bigfoot could make a decent place out of branches and leaves and boughs and, you know, to, to get inside of. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I told you, Bill, but when I was up in Alaska last summer, we saw the the brown bears, right, the grizzlies of Alaska, so to speak. Yeah. They were clamming, you know, That's out in the flats when the tide went out, digging, you know, with their paws and picking up big clams and eating them. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I was like, Wow. Like these that's, bears that's the, are That's clamming. the first I've ever heard of that, oh, Kevin. Absolutely. That's absolutely remarkable. Absolutely. Wow. So well, there you have it. Yeah. If a bear can do it, a Bigfoot can do it, and who knows who else is sucking up clams, you know? <laughs> uh, it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's just instinctive. They know what to do to take care of themselves in their environment. Got to eat. You know? Uh, that you know, even like the striped bass will come up to the flats where there's a population of sandworms, 
and they go nose down into the sand. If the water's shallow enough, you can see their tails sticking out. We call it finning. Oh, okay. And if you go by the flats where they were working, it looks like the beds that little freshwater fish make where they lay eggs. Hmm. It's a cleared out little circle where they sucked into the sand with their mouth and inhaled uh, a worm out of the sand. Hmm. So, That's I mean, ev- yeah, every creature has its its abilities and its gifts to do what it has to do. Yeah, they figure it out. Yeah, it's amazing, Get the man. food, man. Well, it's like we say, find the food, find the water, you will find the creatures. Mm. And in this case, you will find the Bigfoot. There's no doubt about it. They no need doubt. water. They need food. You find all of those things crumpled together, you're going to find deer, antelope, moose, squirrels, raccoons, and Sasquatch. And cougar. Don't forget cougar. Cougar and WJ fighting <laughs> them all off in a vicious fashion. All Either right, that, Bill. So what do you got? Well, you promised to Canada. Yeah, well, I told you we're going to Canada, and uh, this account was told to me by Stephen Grimshaw, a resident of Saskatchewan. This is what did Stephen, you say, Saskatchewan? <laughs> well, uh, maybe they changed the name because they wanted more people to live there. Okay. So they turned Sasquatcheron. (laughs) I can't even say it. Sasquatcheron into Saskatchewan. Yeah, just saying. It's kind of similar. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Uh, (laughs) But this is what Stephen and a group of fishermen saw on September 3rd, 1976. Myself and six other men were fishing the banks of the Beaver River, just north of Wrenchman, Butte, for Arctic grayling. The sky was clear and the weather was outstanding on that day. In fact, so nice a day was it that all of us were fishing with our jackets off, wearing just our shirts and trousers. I didn't know any of the men with whom I found myself fishing that day. Each one of us had found a nice flat boulder to stand on from which we could cast into the main channel of the river. On either side of the river where we were, extending out some 100 yards from each shore, the shallows were strewn with small glacial boulders. You could basically hopscotch your way from rock to rock until you found one where you were in position to cast into the channel. The view of the opposite side was that of a sloping hill with an elevation of perhaps a 100 feet that was covered in tall grass and sporadic clusters of varying vegetation. There was more tall grass than anything else, and the reason for my mentioning this will become apparent in just a moment. So the six of us were spaced out, yet fairly close together, maybe spanning a distance of 75 feet in total. Each of us was standing on our own rock, so to speak. I would estimate that the total width of the river here was probably about 400 yards, 
And from the opposite bank to the top of the hill that we were looking at was perhaps another 300 yards beyond the opposing bank. I had been fishing for about two hours. The other gentlemen had all arrived sometime before me. I was looking upstream, and being the furthest man to the right of the group, I could see all of the other men who were to the left of me. One of the fellas reached down and placed his rod by his feet on the rock. When he did this, I thought he was either taking a break from casting or having a smoke, neither of which was true. He was actually reaching into a small leather pouch he had on his belt and withdrew a miniature pair of folding binoculars. I could see he was focusing them on something on the other side of the river. When suddenly he broke the silence by saying rather loudly, Hey, fellas, you're not going to believe this, but I'm looking at a Sasquatch walking along that slope over there. He now had taken the binoculars down and was turning left and right to make sure that we all heard him. I had heard him loud and clear, but I still said to him, What are you looking at? He said, Look over there to the left. Do you see that dark thing walking along the slope about midway up the side? It's a damn Sasquatch. Now, there was another rock that was closer to this guy, but it was too far away for me to jump to. So I actually stepped down into the water and waded over to it, wanting to get a look at what he was seeing. When I got up on the rock, he passed me his binoculars and I zeroed in on the figure. It was a tall, black, fur-covered animal walking on two feet and making its way steadily along the slope. He said to me, do you see it? I said, yes, but what did you call it? He said, it's a Sasquatch. That's the Indian name for a Bigfoot. Haven't you ever heard of Bigfoot? He said that that sucker must weigh a thousand pounds, and I was in total agreement with him. Even with these small binoculars, I could plainly see that it was a large and lumbering beast. It was swinging its arms in a slow, steady rhythm, and they were hanging at or below knee level. This thing was also covering a serious amount of real estate as it walked. Over the course of no more than five minutes, the beast had walked what appeared to be close to three-quarters of a mile and disappeared into the trees. All of us had stopped fishing and were jabbering over what we had seen. The fellow who used the word Sasquatch actually knew quite a bit about them, including this Indian folklore he spoke of and everything else. I left the river a short while later, but what I saw that day has never left me. What do you think of that, Kev? Oh, that's awesome, Bill. You know, a simple, when we talk about how a sighting occurs... Long distance, 
one guy kind of queuing in on what am I looking at while the others are kind of, you know, la da 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 But in the, in the daytime. Broad daylight. Yeah. Multiple uh, people there. What were there? Six people? Six, six. I think seven total. Seven, six, okay. Six, six in the sky. Yeah. And, and one guy happens to have a small pair of binoculars, scopes it in to confirm, and then shares it. And, I mean, just a remarkable thing. You know, again, no terror, no body, no nothing, just a creature going about its business long distance from them. It had to be, what did he say, about 400 yards wide, the river, and then a couple of hundred. So he's looking at something at whatever, 600 yards, and could easily make out this is not a human. Yeah. Extra long arms, 1,000 pounds, that's not a human. Yeah, and the other thing is the distance it comes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it gives you a feel for the size, right? I could have yeah. used that size, you know, covering three-quarters of a mile in minutes when I was on my 15-mile <laughs> hike. Yeah, you know what? That Sasquatch could have walked to Baldhead Island probably in uh, half an hour. There you go. You know? And done some clamming on the way. Exactly. Probably good clamming <laughs> area. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's incredible. And here we are again up in Canada, uh, Sasquatch going about its business, walking from where to where, who knows. But when you can cover ground like that, man, uh, when people talk about where do these things go, how do they get there? I mean, when you can cover ground at that clip, I mean, you could go a few hundred miles, man, in a week. You know what they say, Bill? If you can cover ground at that clip, no need for an Uber. <laughs> a sand Uber. <laughs> That's unbelievable, though. I mean, I am impressed uh, more and more by the uh, the nature and quality of the uh, sightings uh, that people bring forth. Uh, and you know, I always say, and I'll say it again, What's a fantastic Sasquatch sighting? Any of them. Oh, yeah. Well, and again, it's outdoorsmen. Yep. You know, right? These fishermen out right. there in Saskatchewan um, on the Beaver River. So, it's a, you know, they're not city folk that are running into these creatures. They're out there on a regular basis. I don't think it was their first time fishing. Right. And probably not their first time fishing in Saskatchewan. Right. Well, you know, it's like a lot of good fishing holes. When you got down there, there was already six guys there when he got there. Yeah. So they know when the run is happening, and uh, they know what they need to do to get in on it, you know? Yeah. And that was uh, going back in time in 1976 before people were sharing it real time on social media, right? So. Well, this this guy who told the story uh, didn't know what a Sasquatch was. Right. And he is the guy. What What did you call that? Yep. And so this was like really an educational moment for him, as well as uh, lucking out on getting to see one uh, for the only time in his life. You know, That's it's awesome. a one-shot one deal, you know. Good stuff. Yeah, pretty incredible, man. I love it. Yeah. So where are we going? What kind of... Listener uh, mail do we have yeah, to... Yeah, uh, we got some great listener mail this week, Bill. A couple of themes going on. This first one uh, is not part of the theme, but it's a great uh, note coming in from Rob in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. 
And Rob says, I recently heard your podcast where you referenced the proposed bill in Oklahoma regarding a hunting season for Bigfoot. Just thought I would give you some background since you obviously don't know about the Sooner State. <laughs> the proposed bill is about a uh, is a proposal to buy a license to trap a Bigfoot. First off, these creatures are a menace in southeast Oklahoma. They kill dogs, kill livestock, and terrorize people. People are scared. These things are not the cute, cuddly, big teddy bears like in the movie Harry and the Hendersons. These things are big, nasty, and aggressive. Have you ever heard of the Bigfoot event known as the Siege at Hanobia? Mm -hmm. And he says, if not, here's some links for you. And he says, Hanobia, Oklahoma, is a small town in southeast Oklahoma. They have an annual Bigfoot conference there every year. And there's another one in Stillwater, Oklahoma. This area is very rugged. Rugged. Most folks not familiar with Oklahoma think the state is all flat wheat fields and prairie, but the southeast part of the state is mountainous and rugged. The Kiamichi Mountains is tough terrain. Robbers Cave State Park is in the area, a famous outlaw hideout where such infamous outlaws like Jesse James and Bell Star hid from authorities. Hmm. Other scenic places in this area are Beaver's Bend State Park, Talimian National Scenic Byway, otherwise known as Highway 1, and Heavener Runestone State Park. And by the way, not far away is Falk, Arkansas, from the legend of Boggy Creek fame. And yeah. as you know, I did an episode on the Falk monster of Falk, oh, yeah. Arkansas. Yep, yep. And uh, he says, It sort of felt like you guys were sliding Oklahoma. Maybe you weren't, but that's what it felt like. And by the way, we were not sliding Oklahoma. When I said <laughs> Oklahoma is okay, Rob, I was just quoting the license plate, right? It says Oklahoma is okay. That's um, right. So if you felt like I was sliding it, I apologize, but but I was not. No reason to not like <laughs> Oklahoma. He uh -huh. says, I listen to your podcast every week, and I enjoy it. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, amazing. You know, I actually uh, got in touch with Rob and talked to him on the phone for you a while. You did? Cool. Yeah. And I had asked him about the sliding thing. In fact, that's the main reason I called him, you know? Yeah. And I was like, uh, where's the slight, you know? <laughs> but uh, at any rate, you know, there's a lot going on over there. In uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's southeastern part. I looked, I hadn't heard of the siege at Honobia, but mm -hmm. I read about it a bit, and we may cover it in a future podcast. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I am, I'm really shocked. Uh, well, uh, look, there's a long time between today and tomorrow, so perhaps tonight somebody will contact me with uh, an Oklahoma. Uh, Bigfoot encounter. But, you know, you can't make anybody come forward. That's the thing, you know. And where people are and what they have to say is the luck of the draw, you know.
But I know there's a lot of activity going on in Oklahoma. It's just a question of people coming clean and wanting to talk about it and share it with the rest of us, you know? Yeah. So uh, just an incredible uh, countryside out there. And, you know, I keep saying it. There's probably millions of people out there that have had sightings and encounters. That, oh, no doubt about it. No yeah. doubt about it. We'll, we'll never know. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. So uh, we had, remember, I promised there were a couple of themes, too, woven into tonight's uh, listener mail. So okay. one of them starts off with this email from Isaac. And the subject okay. is, can we talk about flat earth? <laughs> sure, we can talk about sure. it. We talked about it in one of the previous podcasts. I might have actually made fun of it. Yeah, I can't believe that, Kev. <laughs> I have noticed that my prior email concerning Flat Earth has not been mentioned, and you have not written back. WJ, if you would like to discuss the topic, please give me a call. You do not realize it yet, but you are a Flat Earther already. You just <laughs> haven't woken up yet. <laughs> No, I am not a flat earther. I was wondering uh, if that's why you didn't go on some of these oceanic sailing trips with me. Were you afraid yeah. to fall off the earth? Yeah, no, I'm not afraid to fall off the earth. <laughs> but sometimes I would like to if you catch my drift. Right, well, that's a different issue. You know, uh, it's just... Look, I know these people are out there, you know, and some people think we're a little off just talking about Bigfoot. Uh, and then you talk about Flat Earth and there's a whole bunch of people who are thinking you're a little bit off talking about Flat Earth, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, where Isaac is concerned, uh, our show is predominantly about Bigfoot and cryptids. Uh other oddities, UFOs, uh, bizarre happenings, but we're really not a topical show for everything uh, that people want to chime in about all over the planet, you know. And again, that's not meant to be a slight to anybody. It's the nature of our show, you know. Uh, I'm not going to break away and become uh, a cooking class. <laughs> Because somebody, you know, uh, wants to know all the recipes I know, you know. Uh, so I guess we'll kind of leave it at that. Bill, I, we're not doing sourdough bread next week? No, we're not. Damn. We're not. We might do honey buns, but not sourdough <laughs> bread. <laughs> and don't ever call me honey buns again. I was going to say, did you call me honey buns? <laughs> all right. Well, our next letter on the same theme. I got to go there. I'm sorry. Haven't sailed across the horizon many times. Yeah. Uh, from Mike. Subject, Flat Earth. <laughs> well, if you're going to research Flat Earth, I suggest you go and watch the 14-part series called Flat Earth Clues by Mark Sargent. Don't go anywhere else. Start there first. Mike writes, I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying have fun. And then he's got a really goofy-faced emoticon. <laughs> now, do you take that guy serious, or is he just no, I think laying he's, it? 
I think he's pulling our leg. Yeah, yeah. I got I got that feeling too, you know, as you were reading it. The other guy I'm not uh, so sure about. Yeah, no, I think Isaac sold out, you know. <laughs> Sorry, you know, Isaac. Is, we're just not in the Flat Earth Club. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is, bro. <laughs> I was actually, when we did that hike, Bill, we were talking about it at the beginning of the podcast, to the island that's not really an island. I was referencing with my friend a Flat Earth Society saying maybe this is like the Island Society. You know, like this place is really an island. You can only get here on a ferry, you know. Yeah. You can't you know, walk I, here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange. And you know why? I don't know why this thought just came into my head, Kev. Maybe because I was thinking about the ocean again. Uh, I saw a little special the other day. I don't know if it's been on before. I dv audit about uh one of the latest of the many trips down to the titanic oh yeah what incredible video footage they Great had footage. of uh yeah. from these submersibles yeah and the ship is covered in these things they call rusticles mm. they look like icicles but they're some type of uh bacterial living organisms forming what looks like uh, an icicle, but rust. Mm. Uh, they're bacteria, and it's actually a colony of these uh, bacteria that make this this rusticle. Super. And cool. they started out the show talking about how they thought there would be nothing left of the Titanic by 2030. These things eat metal. Mm. These bacteria somehow etch at and pull away metal. But they ended the show saying that the Titanic would probably be there uh, hundreds and hundreds of years from now. Mm. So they kind of baited you in, like, you better watch because the Titanic's going to be gone. And they ended the show like, you know, no worry. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. So It'll be around, protected by the pressure and lack of oxygen down there. Well, that was the whole thing. They thought in that environment, the common thought was that it would never break down. It wouldn't even succumb to rust. Yeah. Uh, but rust is not bacteria, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like um, they're finding all of this old growth wood in the bottoms of these lakes and rivers, right? Where they oh, yeah. used to move the lumber down. Yep, yep. And they're going now and like kind of mining, for lack of a better word, these old growth cypress trees that might have been a thousand years old, two hundred years ago when they sank in the river. Yeah, and then they're making furniture out of them. And it's freaking outstanding Unbelievable. wood. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You take that stuff out and uh, kiln dry it, uh, soar it up, get the best out of it, man. You got some really nice furniture building material there. Yep. All right, Bill. Another letter going on to a different theme that okay. we have two letters related to. And these are related to the campers in Dyatlov Pass. Okay. So this one's from Rick, and it's titled, Spending Nights in a Tent in Cold Weather. And he says, Hi, WJ and Kevin. Just thought I'd drop you a note and say, I've spent many a night in an outfitter's tent, also called a wall tent as a hunting guide at minus 40 degrees F. And he says, with a wood stove for heat, of course. Mm -hmm. And never slept in anything more than, 
than my T-shirt and underwear. But I don't know why those Russian hikers would cut their way out of a tent unless someone or someone or unless something or someone was trying to get in. Keep up the great work, Rick. Kev, uh, you got the pictures I sent to you from Rick, didn't you? Yeah, from the camp. You think we could put up some of those camp photos? I mean, nobody's really in them other than the the vehicles and the wall tents, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put those up. So maybe we'll put them up. I had gotten back to Rick, and by the way, uh, I'm hopeful that Rick's sighting will be in book nine. Uh, uh, I've asked him to kind of lay it out for me a little bit, so I had a little something more to work with. This guy is a man's man. He uh, has done a lot of different things. He's a was a guide, uh, another fellow up in uh, Alberta, uh, had a couple of really strange things go on, including a Sasquatch encounter. Uh, and so I asked him, I said, Rick, he's a regular listener. I asked him, Rick, I don't know what a wall tent is. Uh, and I asked him to get back to me and send me any pictures. So he did. Mm. And it's really interesting how the way they assemble that, Kev. Yeah. It's like a, almost like a little hut made out of like canvas or something. And it even has a spot. Somehow they protect it or shield it with metal in the roof so you could have a stack for that little Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Of course, in Dyatlov, they were just old-fashioned 1958, 59 vintage canvas tents and no wood yeah. stoves. You know? Nothing. And out and he, uh, near Siberia, right? And he's 110% right. There's no way you'd get out of that tent unless you were dressed. No. I mean, these people were not ignoramuses, you know. No, they were experienced hikers, and some of them right. were veterans. That's right. So yeah. uh, I'm with Rick and everybody else that thinks the way I do. That creature in the picture was a Sasquatch-type creature of some sort. Call it a Yeti, hairy man, whatever you want, that was not one of the hikers, and something came after them and did them in. And that's my opinion. I don't care what the people say. Avalanche, bombs blowing up overhead, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I don't know what went on after the fact and why the delay uh, you know, that's on the government, you know. But as far as I'm concerned, something nasty and very much real uh, came after them and wound up killing them all. But just to be clear, we're not commenting that the Russian government often doesn't tell the truth. Oh, no. 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 We, no. Don't, we don't want any of them to come around here. Yeah, 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 yeah you know. All right. Well, man. you know. It's good stuff. Thank you for the emails. Great, uh, great ideas. By the way, like I've been getting more and more ideas for cryptids in the news and other oddities from stories that are sent in. So thank you, folks. It's great to get ideas for new materials and the links to different accounts, etc. And this, uh, this account that I did this week actually came in from a listener originally going back a couple of months. So keep the ideas coming. It's, it's good, uh, Grist for the mill, as my brother would say. 
Yeah, fantastic. You know, Kev, we're developing a little army here of reporters. We are. We have the censors out there. That's right. They're giving us the info. We appreciate that. And I said from the beginning, Kev, that the listeners are our show. No doubt about it. So, folks, if you're out there, don't be shy. I'm not saying we're going to use everything we're shown or or told. uh, But we'll try. We'll try. Yeah. We're, we're going to work with what you're cooking, and uh, we're going to do our best to uh, let everybody uh, have a shout-out and let you chime in with us. Uh, but and just that's to what be clear, Bill, I have to put that public service announcement out there. You yeah. know, all, all y'all witches out there, don't feel a need to write us <laughs> witch letters, okay? Because <laughs> I know you're an active group. Yo. I, don't, I don't like getting those letters from the witches. <laughs> We've been staying away from witch tales intentionally. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. All right. So all that's right. it. That's it, Bill. So, folks, <laughs> thank you for all the great five-star reviews. Keep them coming, as I often say. That is the only means, really, that we have to draw new listeners to the podcast, your five-star reviews. And so thank you so much. And by getting more listeners to the podcast, we're able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast and keep it on a weekly schedule as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, awesome. And folks, uh, go out and buy a couple of my books. Give them away. Birthday gets... Valentine's Day, coming up. Valentine's Day, yeah. Forget the roses. If you really want to win your wife's heart over, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Volume 5. Or your husband's heart, or your partner's heart. Bigfoot books, that's the way to do it. (laughs) And by the way, if you find yourself setting up a wall tent in Alberta, sliding into a sub-zero sleeping bag, wearing your underwear and socks... You better remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.